5-4-3-2-1. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to talk about mail and first-party modeling and testing and a lot of stuff today. So hang on, okay? And remember that we always have the articles down here on WDMA, and you can get the links to the videos and all the rest of it every day if you subscribe, which is free. Okay, so let's start out with this video, and I'm going to start in the middle because it's a three-minute one, and I'm going to just cut it down a little. But this is, uh, this is, this is who? Darn it. This is Kurt Hodge. I remembered his last name. And he's talking about his mail business in northern Nevada. Election, which bumps a huge volume through. The other is it's Medicare open enrollment. We do a lot of work in the health insurance and, uh, and medical field. Hoag says political jobs are different because of the rapid turnaround time. Campaigns are reacting to the changing political landscape, as well as their opponents' own messaging. This campaign did a hit piece on me. Now I need to respond to the hit piece with my own hit piece or my own refutal. And it has to be in the mail the next day. Keeping up with all those orders is the responsibility of production manager David Worthen. Worthen has worked at Renotype for 26 years, starting out as a delivery driver. We've got one candidate that's, that's given us four of their political drops, and they said we want this dropped once a week for four weeks. That one's actually more time than we normally get, but that's good because we'll have one today that'll say, hey, I need walk cards here this weekend, and I need 30,000 of them. One of the major reasons direct mail is still going strong in 2022 is its ability to target messages down to the individual voter. But as digital advertising gets closer to a similar micro-targeting ability, Renotype started offering a combined digital and direct mail service that places messaging from the candidates in the social media feeds of the same people they are mailing. So when they see the postcard or whatever mailer we're sending, they've seen the artwork and the message online maybe a dozen times before the postcard itself hits. And because the company unionized in 2019, they are able to put a union bug on all their products, which is important to political candidates who rely on support from unions. In order for a union member to get behind support a candidate, they want to know that they're supporting fair wages and great health care that a union employee gets. <clears throat> well, anyway, and... Uh... He did in the beginning of the video talk about, well, we get over to the article now. He did talk about his, uh, about why mail still works. Uh, so let's look at the article. <clears throat> this is by Tim Leonard. It doesn't follow exactly with the video, but a lot of it's similar. <clears throat> okay. Uh, what is it about these biennial pleas, means every two years, I guess, for attention that keep campaigns coming back for more? <clears throat> Kurt Hodge says he gets as much mail as anybody. You know, I don't find it excessive anymore. It seems like my mailbox is a lot more empty than it used to be. But um, as you take the same, he talks about putting it into the garbage. As you take the same candidate's postcard to the garbage over and over, you start to gain name recognition. And uh, if it's a well-done campaign, their message might even resonate with potential voters. It sounds a little iffy, but how iffy is it compared to digital, right? Digital, it throws itself away. In direct mail, you you have to make a decision. That's the part that no one talks about, is that every mailer, every mailer that you get, here's one, here's a Valpac. I didn't decide to throw it away. There's a reason for that. And so it's still here on my desk. I got a Uline catalog. 
I don't think I think that one might have gone in the trash because it was a Slim Jim. I noticed that Uline is is not, just now going away from their uh, their little digest size catalog. This one here, this one that's 800 pages or something. And they sent that to me, and I bought several things from e Uline, like uh, some little envelopes, a pack of envelopes. I bought some uh, some frozen food shipping containers. And I bought a wheel for my cart when we had a fire. The wheel melted. Um, so, I, you know, I'm a multi-buyer with Uline, but it looks like they're maybe going to test some smaller formats. Um, but I have to make a decision. Some things I save. That one I saved. Some things I throw away. <clears throat> uh, the article mentions Mark Melman. Mark Melman is a political consultant who does research and stuff. <laughs> advises on campaigns. In 1995, Melman suggested that direct mail was on the way out. <laughs> but you can still hire him, even though he's been completely wrong in that regard. In a 2007 uh, subsequent study by Melman, he found that direct mail would do well for at least another 10 years. Okay, so it's 27, so it's five years after that. Um Barack Obama, uh, President Barack Obama has a video according or a PowerPoint, according to a PowerPoint by Politico that raised $230 million through direct mail. And I'm guessing that's small donor contributions, um, which is significant, I think. It sounds like a little bit of money to me. Okay, so um, Melman also told Philanthropy.com, and many of these links are live in this uh, in the upload to WDMA, so go over there, um, that some people respond to mail and some people respond to digital. And often it doesn't mix. Although I would encourage you to put on a QR code if you're going to do mail. Look at this, the hail damage experts, no QR code. And you can even get a postal discount for some of that stuff. Okay, so as I said, get the mailer, get the, uh, get the article, and let's move on. How f responsible use of first-party data is changing the marketing game. What I think is so funny about this is that first-party data is a new name for customer data. <laughs> and customer data was what we started with back in 1994 with the Hudson Bay Company. And we had been working with, with, with customer data basically my whole career since the 80s. You know, we'd remail the customers and then we'd rent some mailing lists from others. That was how direct mail was done. You remail the customers, you, you find the right balance between repeat mailings to the customers and prospecting, adding new customers. And that was the way it worked. So this is nothing new, nothing at all new. It may be new to you because you don't have a history in marketing, right? And most Young people think that new is better, but as we see in the campaign mailer game, uh, it's still working and working very, very effectively. So this, there's a lot of content here. Um, one point he makes is that brands are unable to identify their their customers' identity across touch points, mistakenly counting them as many consumers, right, with of, of almost no value. That's the important part, is that, uh, one customer across many screens is different than many customers, many customers. Let's, right. Okay, so so one-time buyers are very, are not very valuable. 
um, multi-buyers are very valuable. One of the problems here is we're trying to identify the movement of customers outside the buying process. And as Brad Parscale proved in the in the since we're talking politics in the uh, first the first uh, <laughs> Donald Trump campaign, uh, he sold banners and bumper stickers and yard signs. He sold them and and especially MAGA hats. And based on where the sales were coming from, that's where they spent their resources uh, in reinforcing voter voter turnout. And if they wanted to try to persuade, then they put them in the other uh, areas. But they felt that it was much stronger evidence for support than a, a poll, right? A telephone poll or something, a telephone poll, <laughs> a poll taken over the telephone. And uh, and Brad credits the testing that they did and the ability to, to actually generate an order that gave them much better data. What data? First party data. You know, a $20 bill put in it put into your campaign is a much more valuable uh, potential voter than someone who says, yeah, I plan on voting. OK, um, the you know, this is a this is all written by by Epsilon. I mean, it's an, an Epsilon sales piece, but, um, you know, they touch a lot of good bases. Third party data isn't so unique that it can't easily be sold to a competitor. Same with mailing lists. Right. But it brings problems, including quality, accuracy, and cost. <laughs> Do we admit that? Sure. So the first-party data, enter first-party data. And again, there's this perspective on this article that this is somehow something new, and it isn't, of course. First-party data has been what direct mailers have been using since 100, 150 years. Uh, which marketers are using as a foundation for understanding its customers? That's also something interesting because what I always argued, if you're going to build a prospect model, you might want to look at the properties of your customers rather than the properties of your uh, of your responders to your prospecting. Now, if you do big enough prospecting mailings, it, it works out. Um, and there may be a difference when we were working with fishermen and they were mailing you know, millions of Cabela's names and millions of 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 uh, Bass Pro names. There was a slight difference between the two companies and their profile, um, and so we used that when we reordered. You know, we would build the zip tapes and say we want these zip codes for for Cabela's and we want these zip codes for Bass Pro, and we would have another prospect model for other. Uh, smaller lists that we would apply okay well what's good about it it's based on real interactions with the brand <laughs> real interactions and real-time customer touch points okay well you know real time it means it means recent history first party data bridges the gap also easier to keep control of the data and the privacy issues 89 percent of packaged goods uh, marketers reported they were focused on developing their first-party data strategy, the highest of all other industries surveyed. So the consumer packaged goods want to know about. And what's ironic about that is, is that consumer packaged goods, if you're talking about like, like uh, Procter and Gamble, they don't really have it. Of all people, they don't have it. Why? Because they sell at grocery stores. Their 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 first-party customers are the grocery stores, right, or the chains or whatever. The buyers. The buyers, the buyers of the SpaghettiOs or whatever, are going 
to the cash register, scanning the thing. And if they use their rewards card, the grocery store knows who they are. And so in most cases, the grocery stores will sell that, that name back to Procter & Gamble. But, um, you know, if – but how often do you get grocery store direct offers in your – you know, I I on Facebook I I hit like on M and M's and Skittles. I don't remember why. Um, years ago, and it used to be that you'd get you'd get advertising from them. I don't see it anymore at all. So the very very low value, very very low value, and you know even first party data when it's a digital purchase is is not valuable enough usually to mail it, or only to mail it in certain limited ways. Uh, Deliveroo used their first-party data to personalize campaigns, and this is where the wheels come off in this article, individual, targeting individual customers. Uh, and they, this tool connects billions of online intent signals with predictive artificial intelligence. It's really just a careful analysis of history because intent signals are data and all data is historical, sorry to say. Uh, so if you're spending a lot for this kind of targeting, you know, you may want to rethink that, um, especially if they're if they're if they're hyping their own capabilities and, you know, can't possibly be true. I don't even know when I I I, uh, I went online to get a coupon for Domino's because we have a Domino's that's kind of across our little town. It's not the closest pizza place and it's not maybe the best pizza place, but I kind of like it and it's inexpensive. And so now I get. I get emails continuously, which means they're probably not predicting at all. <laughs> they're just dumping stuff on me. And I read them sometimes, you know. And sometimes I think, yeah, pizza might be good today. Um, I don't think I've ever acted on one, I have to say. You know, they might have been better off with one real mailer compared to 200 emails that I don't read. I might open them because I basically, I mark everything as red which I found out within my own tracking that counts as, as an open, even though I don't even look at it. I have a button that says mark as read. <laughs> and you get a notification that I opened your email. Wow, beautiful. Anyway, so maximize it and uh, then you can... <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> Then you can offer deeply personalized experiences to your customers. You know, like, how about Deliveroo tonight? That would be a great one. You probably get a better response to that than trying to offer deeply personalized experience. You can do some experience. You know, you can do some uh, personalization, but most of the time it's ineffective and it drives you nuts trying to say the same basic thing. Why don't you try Deliveroo tonight? A <laughs> hundred thousand different ways, right? Make a good offer. That's what we were talking about the other day. Okay, so anyway, let's go over to let's go to Craig Huey. I always like Craig. I like these little testing corners. Okay, so here's the test. It was a it was a it was a newsletter. I'm assuming it was an email, uh, an email campaign for a newsletter called Strategic Investing. I think I might subscribe to that. In fact. And a split test and subject line A was new cancer breakthrough tr triggers potential 1,000% profit chance. Subject line B, early investors could collect 1,000 gains from the end of cancer. Okay. Now, 
I picked A. Why? I picked A because a cancer breakthrough is possible. The end of cancer, cancer is a so many variety of things, right? And so many environmental factors can trigger cancer. My, I don't believe that the, the end of cancer, I don't believe that, you know, and as an oncologist, the head of oncology at the University of Wisconsin once said to me, well, you're going to die of something, you know, men will die of prostate cancer if they live long enough, <laughs> right? I guess we all get it, uh, but it moves slow and usually we die of something else instead, like falling off a roof or something <laughs> or scuba diving with leaky tanks. Uh, Anyway, I think about those things more. So this one, the cancer breakthrough phrase to me was more credible than the end of cancer. Um, potential 1,000 profit, it's always a potential. Collecting sounds more like those, 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 those uh, Nigerian prince emails I get about how they they have a hundred million dollars in a in an account for you if you'll only give them all your personal information. So I picked A for those reasons, and if you guessed A, you're correct. It got a 26% higher response rate than B. Now Craig doesn't explain why, and maybe there isn't a reason why. Maybe it's just luck. So retest. But I, I would say we could form an observation that says, you know, a, a credible claim with a credible potential return is better than a, an astounding claim and a suggestion of certainty of return. How's that? So a more certain, a more certain claim and a less certain reward. Perhaps that's the theory, and that's for Craig Special and anyone else who wants to test the subject line. Have a great day. Like and share. Don't just like, share. I get these great people, my friends who have way more followers than I do, and they just hit like, and I don't think that shows up. That tells me they like it, but I don't think it shows up in their in it. I don't think it tells their their followers or their connections that they really liked it. So a like is worth. One, uh, a share is worth 20 likes. Have a great day. Bye-bye.